this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. What's, What's up? going, everybody? We welcome to explain yourself. Uh, I'm here with my pal Ben, and we're going to be talking to you guys about uh, some really cool stuff. But before we do, we wanted to tell you guys a little bit about archetypes. Uh, ben, we have a really cool uh, magazine that's going to be dropping here in February for everybody. It is. It features three new comic books, uh, marketing tips, writing tools, all kinds of really cool working things that you can use for the comic book creative. And all you got to do is head over to geekcollective.net slash archetypes and you can uh, check that out. Uh, we're going to throw on the uh, trailer for you guys to check that out here. Uh, and then we're going to play the intro right after that. So we'll see you guys right here right afterwards. up it is sunday night so it's time for another episode of explain yourself we have a great creator here today to talk about a cool book called wardens so i want to welcome ari gross onto the show hey everybody ari, how's it going ari how's it going it's going great how's it going guys doing good fantastic i love yeah. that uh, i've been seeing your intro before it's very like sports center like uh <laughs> <laughs> hey that's that's perfect right because hashtag nfl is going on right now Absolutely. Uh, my niners are gonna be uh heading uh they're one game away so um that's that's pretty freaking awesome so heck yeah um let's let's talk a little bit about uh wardens really quick if you can give us a quick uh pitch on the book and then we'll get right back in. we'll get right into it Sure. All right. Wardens, 1926, Toronto, multicultural immigrant neighborhood called The Ward. Uh, seamstress, Jewish seamstress, Rachel Tussman, uh, was working at a factory trying to figure out where her life's going. She's happy to be in a place that's safe, but doesn't see much of a future. There's a huge labor issues, uh, wealth disparity and all that. 
suddenly everything takes a sharp left turn when there's a, a fire at the place where she works and gives rise to this new supernatural, uh, uh, vengeful uh, creature known as the Shmata, a combination of uh, angry souls and uh, born out of uh, uh, bitterness and uh, Jewish Kabbalistic magic. And then Rachel has to work with her sister, her sister's uh, secret uh, boyfriend, a uh, secret Chinese boyfriend, a, a black uh, jazz trombonist, and a few other people in the ward to come together, deal with the supernatural threat of the Shmata, and find a way to bridge the gaps between uh, the various communities and stop the ward from, telling, uh, from tearing itself apart in a gang war. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Very cool. That is, that is a description, all right. So um, I'm going to bring the campaign up on the screen here. And ask you a few questions about it. The first thing, this is funny. I was reading, I was kind of going through your campaign page uh, yesterday before we, uh, before I set up the stream, and I was looking at this piece of artwork, and I'm like, I know I've seen that. That's something I've seen before. I couldn't figure it out until I got to the bottom of the page, but I would never have figured it out on my own. So tell us a little bit about this image. Uh, so that image, uh, it's an homage to uh, some Mario Three uh, art. Uh, there's a the cover of Mario 3 is Mario sort of flying with the tanuki ears, and there's a bigger art piece where all the Koopa kids are coming down from the castle. Uh, my artist, Rob Jennings, is super obsessed with uh, 80s and 90s video games, as am I. And he initially pitched this as one of the covers. Uh, I wanted the cover to be something a little different, and I was like, well, let's keep that back in, in our mind for either a variant cover or an art print, and I decided that we'll just do one cover for this, so that sort of became the the art print. Uh, and we're actually, I'm changing the, the rewards a little bit. Since I saw no one was buying the art print tier, everyone was buying the two copy backer tier, so mm -hmm. I'm throwing that in that tier so it can be in more tiers because I want people to have this thing because I printed out and looked at it, and I was like, this is dope. Everyone should have mm -hmm. this. You know? so, yeah. It is. And, you know, we usually kind of do the creative stuff first a little bit and then kind of go into the marketing, but jump ahead here. Uh, I've been looking at more and more Kickstarter campaigns and seeing mm -hmm. like the ones that stand out seem to be doing really. I think you just that that first thumbnail image that people see when they're scrolling through comics or related projects is just so vitally important. And I think it's kind of cool that you have something. It's it's a really nice piece of art in its own. It's appealing. Uh, it's got a lot of things going on that without getting too overwhelming that you can look at and be like, yeah, there's some cool stuff here. This is going to be fun. But I think just the fact that you have like this was a really sticky piece of artwork in my mind. Cause I was oh, just like, great. what is that? I know I've seen that image before kind of, and it really, you know, kind of drew me in. So kudos to you guys for, I think coming up with a great uh, campaign image as I'm getting my campaigns together for this year. I'm almost just going to do thumbnails, like pieces of art just for those, not necessarily taking something yeah. for the comic. That's, that's, that's the, the, the best way to do it, right. Is to create a thumbnail just exclusively for this thing. Uh, because it's it's so difficult to to pinpoint like to grab something from the comic book to put in there and then to write it within the amount of characters that they give you for mm -hmm. for to like hook people right so it's so difficult we'll, we'll get into all that good stuff uh but let's, let's start scrolling through some of this 
and talking a little bit about some of the rewards. So tell us a little bit about, about uh, what you're offering <coughs> everybody. Right. So Wardens is a 44-page comic, color, obviously. Uh, it uh, has, I think, about four pages of back matter, essays, characters, uh, sketches, and stuff like that. So it's going to be thick for a single-issue comic. I have the whole story is broken up into six 44-page segments. I have did a first draft of the whole thing, so I know exactly where it's going. You know, change some details as we go along and all that. But I, this is a distinctly a chapter one of six for, you know, the first story about the whole team, how they come together and all that. Uh, so the actual rewards are digital print, no surprise there. Physical copy, again, pretty expected. Uh, I've been doing uh, some trading cards. I did for my last Kickstarter campaign, my, which was my first Kickstarter campaign one year ago. I did a series of trading cards for the characters from that. That was called Awakening. And I really like these. I've been obsessed with like these Marvel uh, yeah. in DC, but mostly like the Marvel trading cards as a kid. And so I wanted to do that once I started yeah. doing this. So I got that. What's funny about that is is uh, those trading cards are like people eat them up, right, Ben? Like you and I both mm-hmm. experimented with in, in uh, multiple campaigns with those. <clears throat> and, like and they're, they're, yeah, they're 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 really fun to collect. I I got some uh st- some things like that. Uh, I I got metal cards. I have all kinds of really cool ones. So it's it's really exciting to kind of see uh, that people continue to do this. Um, <clears throat> Let's uh, let's see what else you guys. What else are you doing that that is kind of standing out from everything from the rest? So there's those two postcards, which is just easy things to print in there. I figured I'd include one in the tier. Uh, the next thing is that 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 Mario three inspired art print, which, like I mentioned, I just changed the uh, the tiers a little bit because everyone I, I noticed that a bunch of people were getting the I have a coupon pack, never was getting that. No one was getting the art print tier, so I said forget it. That one there that you just see there, I'm just throwing the art print in there because I want people to have it. Uh, I, I want it. I think it's great. Uh, the other things that are uh, stand out of this, the two higher tiers, uh, that one there, oh, a 1920 style, I said 20 style art print, but I should rename that to 1920 style character sketch. Uh, this is you and or a friend, uh, our artist will draw you in his style as sticking with the 1920s theme, which is, of course, when Warren's is set. Uh, and he's got some pretty cool sketches that he did of everyone in the team. If you scroll down to the main story, you'll see, uh, like, like the main part, uh, not even the rewards, like in the middle, you'll see uh, okay. right there. Yeah, that's that's me, my editor, and the artist. Uh, I love how he drew us, and I think this is an, an awesome opportunity for people to have uh, a unique family portrait or for whatever uh, whatever they want to do. And the biggest tier is uh, getting drawn into issue two. There's a lot of people in issue two. I think it would be a lot of fun if someone wanted their character, especially their character that they had designed for the uh, the character design, then go into uh, into the story. I've got perfect place for for all that. So those are the higher level tiers. Uh, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm always curious. I'm, I'm thinking of doing a uh, cameo tier in my next comic because I'm going to have a gazillion side characters. Thank you. So I'm wondering, uh, I'm curious to see how that does. Those ones are always really fun. I've always wanted to be able to do something like that, but I could never afford it. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest question I had, uh, and this is something that I think is going to be uh, sort of an ongoing uh, question as, as I do more of these, because like I said, this is part one and there's a minimum of six for these, uh, is going to be figuring out what the good high level tiers are, and what sells and what people want. Uh, because I went into this thinking that, oh yeah, the cameo tier is going to be great. Everyone's going to jump on it day one. 
Uh, but no one's no one's bit yet. No one's even bit at yeah. the the second level tier. And I'm wondering is that is that a pricing thing? Is that a time of the year thing? Is that what is know, it set at? Like, what's the deal? I don't think like I mean, it's the prices are in Canadian dollars, so for most Americans, it's actually not that expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens at the end of the campaign. Uh, the last campaign I had, we had some original art tiers as well, where my guy would uh, my artist was going to do some original art. I didn't think anyone was going to take them until the end of the campaign. And then we had three. So, you know, like, you, you don't know till it's done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a continuous learning process. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So um, I'm a big history buff and I, I kind of noticed that you've got a lot of elements I've seen. I don't know too much about what Toronto was like at this time. I know a lot about what New York city and some places in America were like, um, is is kind of the situations these characters are in. They remind me a lot of, um, you know, other books I've read where their characters are kind of working at like shirt factories in New York City or something like that. Um, it, did that Was there a lot of that in Toronto? Did you base a lot of research? Did you base a lot of the situations on research that you've done? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sort of a historian amongst other things by trade. Oh, cool. uh, I have a PhD in the history and philosophy of science and technology, one of these weird overeducated people who <laughs> eventually <laughs> found a total different discipline to go into, and none of that trained me for drawing comics or, or writing comics, but... Uh, well, that I, doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a lot of what I was doing early on uh, for the comic is, is getting the inspirations for the setting and for the types of jobs that people would have. I mean, so for example, the main character, Rachel, she's a seamstress. Her sister working at the same factory is a receptionist. Uh, her sister's boyfriend is a porter, just carrying stuff around and trying. And even then, you have to get into the like, what are the labor issues of the time? What are the uh, the actual jobs that people have, and how are they paid? How many hours do they work? Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I did a lot of research for all that. Uh, and then, from a historical research uh, perspective, it's always about finding the balance between when you do like enough research that you can move forward, but without uh, making it all about the research and not about the characters, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, a good story is a character-driven story. This is a character-driven story. Uh, you know, it's not like there's a plot there. The plot's fun. There's a supernatural hook. That's fun, too. But if you don't have the characters, you don't have anything. And so figuring out how to balance compelling characters with all this cool historical stuff that you want to put in there, but you're often you often have to keep a lot of the stuff out. So, for example, you see there the, the factory, uh, it's it, it gets caught on fire. Of course, that's directly inspired by many of the, I mean, New York, there's the famous uh, that's, the, yeah. the Triangle uh, a factory. Is that the one I'm thinking of in New York? That famous Yeah, there's Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, yeah. Yes, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, precisely. Uh, there's a very similar thing that happened in Toronto, uh, not exactly the same time, but again, you know, Garment Factory was not kept the way it should be, uh, certainly not by modern standards, burnt down. Several people died, you know, all of them uh, immigrants, Jewish, Italian, like the same kind of stories. Uh, so the word itself, where this is based, it is probably the most similar to the Lower East Side for Americans. If you're trying to mm-hmm. place it somewhere, it uh, it was the poor immigrant neighborhood uh, came around in the mid 19th century. But really, as of the late 19th century to the 1950s and, and more towards the beginning of that, uh, Toronto like many places in, in uh, or many cities in North America, especially Montreal and New York, had a pretty big uh, uh, influx of immigrants. A lot of Jews from Eastern Europe, Ashkenazi Jews, which were a bit of 
the people who were coming were different from the Jews who were there before, who were mostly from Britain or Germany. They were much more secular, much more integrated, uh, tend to be wealthier. Uh, where these were basically these sort of the poor Eastern European Jews who were like tired of getting killed and kicked out of places, so they left. Which literally, my ancestors. I mean, a lot of this is very based on family history. It's based a lot of the names are just taken from people in my family. Uh, you know, shuffled mm -hmm. around a little bit, but uh, a lot of the stories are adapted from either things that happened to me or happened to people I, I know in other parts of my family or people uh, came across in, in my research. So it really focuses on this, this community where you have a large influx of uh, people from Eastern Europe, a lot of Jews, a lot of people from China, a lot of Chinese immigrants. And at this point, uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act had been passed, so they weren't even like allowing any more uh, Chinese mm -hmm. people. So that's a huge point of contention in later issues. We'll get to that. And then lots of Italians, Southern Europeans, Eastern Europeans, I mean, the word was the multicultural neighborhood where all the sort of the rest of the, the white Anglo Toronto, like just didn't want to go. This was where mm -hmm. all like, you know, all, all, all the rabble is there, you know, the and it was the slums. It was uh, overcrowded, rough housing, poor sanitation. People were literally commissioned by the city to go and take pictures of poor people in the ward and overcrowding situation so they could go and use it as like political arguments for, uh, you know, different municipal policies. This was like a rough part of the city, which is kind of hilarious because if you ask, where's the ward now? This is where every bank headquarters in Canada is located. This is where every financial institution, this is like the richest part of Canada, like per square block, except for like, I don't know, maybe the Thompson family or like some billionaire family private home or something. Uh, this area got totally changed uh, basically, after the 1950s, uh, a bunch of land was expropriated, uh, parts were cleared uh, to build the new city hall, Toronto's first Chinatown. Uh, people uh, basically kicked out everyone along Elizabeth Street for a section which was which was the very first Chinatown. People ended up moving other places. They put city hall there. And slowly by slowly, there's nothing left of this neighborhood in terms of like how it was, so, which makes it really interesting to me. It's, it's this like, it's this place that people in Toronto know in terms of like we know the streets but we don't know how it was it's like as mm -hmm. if you said a, if you it's like if you made a comic called like wall street or something but everyone was living in like shacks you know mm -hmm. it's that sort of like contrast which i sort of want to uh which i find really interesting and it's, it's a total lost neighborhood but there's been a lot of research on it in the past 10 years or so a lot of people have been getting interested in it again uh so there's been a lot of really cool resources that I've been able to use to, uh, to, to tell these stories. Wow, that's interesting. So I would have guessed the, the way it goes with most cities I've been familiar with is, you know, the areas that were really run down are, are just end up being like the up and coming hip neighborhoods. I mean, that's like Williamsburg and Brooklyn or even in Cincinnati, there was an area called Over the Rhine that was just like the worst part consistently for years and years. And now it is like $500,000 condos, restaurants everywhere. It usually happens organically, but there are a few spots. And that is interesting where, you know, government developers just got in there and said, no, half this is going, um, going away. In fact, the area in New York where they built the UN headquarters mm. was its own neighborhood that they just essentially bulldozed. And uh, you can still, they just dumped the whole area somewhere out in Jamaica Bay. Um, but it's, it, the trash still washes up on the, uh, on the bay there. So really? There aren't a lot of places. That's interesting. I would have assumed it just kind of organically became a very different thing, but that's uh, a little. There's there's some sadness there when when it sort of happened. Uh, yeah, know, so by, by the time organically. 
Yeah, by the time the 1950s and 60s rolled around, a lot of the early immigrant groups that had been there had already moved out. Like the Jewish community, and this was the center of the Jewish community in Toronto in the early 20th century. Mm -hmm. uh, but people started slowly moving west and then further north. Uh, that as basically as people got rich, they left the slums. Uh, mm -hmm. And you know, some uh, slowly there's like I wouldn't say gentrification, but like it got a little less rough. Uh, mm -hmm. But that sort of became a very sharp turn in around the 50s and 60s when the government was like, "We're just buying all this land to put a thing here." Uh, I actually don't know how a lot of even some parts of the war can, were probably a little rougher a uh, little later. Like, I mean, there's mm -hmm. parts of downtown Toronto that are like a little, like a little skeezier, but like not that skeezy like compared to a lot of places. <laughs> it's not, like it's, it's a lot of money there. Like if there's people sleeping on the streets, it's only because there's a nice vent in front of this bank. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. like, it's, like it's that kind of place now. It's a very downtown feel uh, where this used to be. People live there because the factories were like, right over there, you know, you're making mm -hmm. the factories over there, the stores that sold the stuff that the factories made in particular Eaton's, which is the, which is the major place, uh, which I've changed for the book because, uh, Eaton's has become stones, uh, for, mm -hmm. you know, just historical fiction reasons, but people would live like here, work here. And then the stuff would be sold in the fact in this department store. That's right over there. That still exists today. Uh, oh, wow. it was totally changed. Of course, like, you know, it's not like it was back in the twenties or anything, but, uh, that's the only thing that stayed. The factory's gone and the living places have gone, but you know, there's still like a little bit of a semblance of like the history. If you, if you know what to look for, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very cool. So one other thing I had in my notes here that I wanted to, I, mean, I guess, bring up, not necessarily ask you about, but I'm, if you have anything that you, that went into this decision, I'd like to hear it. I've always found it kind of hard to decide what preview pages to, to put in, you know, to your campaign page, you don't want to give away too much. You don't want to not give away enough that people aren't intrigued. I always find that, you know, especially if it's a, if you're a new creator, you don't have a huge, you know, track record. And especially if it's a new book as well, I always want to err on the side of, you know, giving people more. Um, you've got a lot of pages here. Um, what I think was really cool about what you had here. And I wonder know if it's a happy accident, or if it was really intentional is I think you've given us all the cool things that we can expect in this project. I see like, okay, there's going to be like kind of historical fiction here. Um, great artwork. You're going to have a fun scene like this. You can, you know, you're going to have all these colorful characters and scenes. You kind of forget about the supernatural fire guy um, <laughs> who I'm going to ask you about in a little bit, but you know, we, we have enough here to get kind of caught up in these people's lives and their situations. Um, you know, we have some action, so it's not like it's just all set up then the fire. And then the last page we see is this guy. And it's also the only one that's a single page. So it kind of has a little more punch. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was really cool. This almost, if I were cutting together a trailer for this comic uh, with what I know about it now, I mean, that's what I would do. I would kind of like, okay, here's some cool stuff. And then, Oh, bam, there's going to be this other very intense thing. So um, I, I think I'm always looking at with my stories is, is there enough here? I'll have like a couple cool ideas that I think are interesting, but probably not enough to carry a whole book. Um, sometimes I can mesh them together and I'm like, yeah, that is enough. I look at this and just the pages you showed us. And I think there's a lot of you really given us all the, the, the cool draws of this book. There's going to be great artwork, interesting characters, kind of fun stuff. And then also a pretty dramatic villain antagonist or whatever this guy's situation ends up being. So I thought, did you really, uh, plan out like that flow when you were doing oh, yeah. this or did you kind of just want to pick the coolest pages and it turned uh, out to be this 
yeah, I mean, this wasn't an accident. The, the big question for me was, so, so I know this is a 44 page book. So lots of material to work from already. If this was a 20 page book, you would have to be a little more judicious, right? You know, uh, I know it, I didn't want to give away the last eight pages because last eight pages are very spoilery. Uh, but because I talk about this character, this is like, it sort of tells, tells the arc from, you know, uh, starting in with sort of the personal issues, getting to a little more of the fun and games, getting to a little bit of the action. And then you have, have this, which sort of like, you know, the villain enters essentially. Mm -hmm. uh i if i started this with the first six pages frankly i would have just bored myself because i don't the six first six pages which which i like are very scene setting they're very much mm -hmm. just sort of like trying to get under understand like the community understand sort of the jewish side of the community a lot of it's like a, a rabbi lecturing in a synagogue which like again sets the tone uh tells you kind of thematically the main issues about it mm -hmm. but it's not the most exciting and it's not going to give you the general arc of the first issue. So mm -hmm. as you can tell, I mean, you know, that's why I listed the page numbers underneath them. Cause I don't want people thinking I'm just doing like, you know, pages one to 10 or something like that. Cause yeah. you know, you need to know I'm jumping around a little bit because uh, I really wanted to get people to see in a very, very rough idea of what the, the sort of general arc of the first issue is uh, without giving away any of the, any of the major spoilers that come in, in the last, in the, in the, in the final act three of the issue. Yeah. Very cool. I, I think that that's something, you know, and this is the issue one problem, I think for everybody I talk to and myself too, like it's really hard to know how to start your story because you know, if you're going to be pitching this to an editor or even to a Kickstarter audience, you're going to have that moment where it's like, okay, something's got to happen pretty early. That's not, I mean, if you look at most movies that are really good, it doesn't start off with necessarily the, the biggest action scene. I mean, like you kind of do the James Bond thing where he's wrapping up a previous adventure. That only works if you kind of know the characters already. Um, you can do the thing where it's like, it's a, an intense scene and then it cuts to like two days before and you know, like the right. media res thing. Which I, flash forward. And I, I did think about that first <laughs> issue. Uh, mm -hmm. An earlier version had a flash forward with a big fight from like issue six, like the final fight with uh, all the gang as they've all come together. They're dealing with the Shmata and, mm -hmm. and you hear all these voices and you're trying to figure out like who even is this? And I put it to my editor and she was like, yeah, I, I just I don't think you need it. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was kind of surprised because I thought I did. I, I thought you need to like start out with a bang, be like, bam, right there. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know what, Th that would be a way to do things. But I, I kind of want to just have the lower build where the first pages uh, set the actual tone of like the main the main themes for the story and introduce the characters kind of gently. Uh, mm -hmm. Because once it gets going, it really gets going. And, I mean, I was thinking back to some of my favorite movies, like I mean, The Shining. Shining doesn't start mm -hmm. off with like you know chopping down a door and then plink one month. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, that's not Stanley Kubrick style. Like, you know, so I was like, yeah, I can make it work. Uh, and I think I did, whether or not anyone else thinks I did is a matter of opinion, I'm sure. But uh, certainly in terms of the pages, I decided to, to skip around a bit more to really give people the, the high level view of, of the arc of the story and, and some of the things they can expect. You should expect there to be some action. You should expect there to be some drama. There's a thing on fire. You should expect there to be an interesting villain. There's this interpersonal issues, uh, you know, there's the stuff with, you know, she sees that, Rachel sees that her sister is uh, dating a Chinese guy and she doesn't know how to feel about that. You know, there's all this 
like there's there's enough of a flavor of what people can get out of it mm-hmm. that if they look at it and they say, yeah, that looks like a cool, interesting story. Then the rest is not just filling in the gaps, but like that that's what it is. You know, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm selling. So, yeah. 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 And I think that's a, it's clear you have a lot to sell here, which I think is good. You've got kind of all the things I listed before, the historical fiction. You can tell it's researched. Um, you, you see all the, the the big draws of this book are here. And that's, I think, good to do, especially if you're uh, like you said, like your editor said, I think you had enough here. And I look at most things I like, uh, they do kind of start off slow. I don't want to um, knock other stuff, but that whole, like the flash forward intro, which I've seen a lot of, I generally, unless a character is like a plot point, they're seeing the future that is okay. But I generally hate that as a, as a writing device. So, um, because I'm really, I always focus on kind of how do things flow? Um, how's the momentum build up? And it's generally better just to start off slow and get to know these characters, become invested as the stakes get higher. Um, and so I think that's generally always the way to go. Um, yeah. but I always worry. There's always this voice in my head that says like, I, I imagine someone reading this for the first time, not necessarily knowing what to think and being like, wait, when's something going to happen? Is there going to be action in the first yeah, 10 yeah. pages? And I'm like, that's rough. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, part of that's why I put right in there a supernatural action comic series, you know, cause I yeah. want people to know that's where we're going. Like, you know, that's every issue there's action and there's a supernatural thing. Like it's, you know, I could have called it a historical fiction, you know, like relationship, people trying to figure out how to navigate their lives kind of like no one wants that, you know, like that's yeah, there too. Probably probably not what Stan Lee would have said. No, it's not what Stan Lee would have said. I'm, I'm really trying to channel my Stan Lee here because yeah. someone can sell comics, you know, like I could. This is awesome. Let's we're we're gonna take a quick break right here, uh, really quick. Uh, but we're gonna get as soon as we come back, we're gonna talk a little bit about um some stuff. Maybe get a little bit more into marketing stuff because, uh, because we were talking about that uh, you know trying to work in enough characters into that title, and you got a really cool one. So I want people to be able to hear this one, and then uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about more marketing here right after this message. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, this is the part of the show where we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Greylock really quick before we get back with Ari Gross, where uh, we have a code for Previews World. Our friend Eli Shockey of the show, he's got a book that's going to be dropping out here. uh, So make sure you guys are heading over to your favorite LCS or if you guys are ordering straight from Previews World. Use January code JAN241939 and grab the Greylock issue three from Scout Comics. That's JAN241939. And uh, those of you who are watching, you guys can point your camera to the screen right now and use that QR code to order, pre order your book today. Um, and we'll see you guys. Uh, we'll come back right back here with Ari Gross. Ari, let's talk a little bit about uh, that that pitch that you got, man, here 
um <laughs> if you could give it to us really quick and, and then tell us tell us why you chose this one and and because you were talking a little bit about it before the break sorry which, which pitch the uh what i, what I have written? the log line that you got on kickstarter do I have written? I, read it to me, please. I totally you, got, you got a 44-page comic book of Supernatural Prohibition era Jewish and Chinese Canadian face-punching good time. Yeah, that sounds like me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it has all the things I want to say. It has what it is. It has how long it is. It has the kind of uh, all the characters, but a good number of characters. You can understand they're going to be Jewish and or Chinese Canadian. And it has a face-punching good time because I want people to come at this series thinking a couple of things. First, it's got action. This isn't just a relationship sort of drama thing. There's high action, there's suspense, there's villain, there's all that kind of stuff. And it is a good time. Wardens is not a drag. If there's one thing uh, that was my, like, my North Star, my guiding light for this series, was this series has to be fun, has to be upbeat. Uh, that informed the writing. Uh, it formed the art, it informed the pacing, all of it was driven by the fact that I do not want to write a series about people living, uh, about like, like immigrants living in the slums and being sad. You know, there's sadness in it, there's tragedy, there's death, there's hardship, but that's not what this is. This isn't about telling a sad story. This is about telling a crazy upbeat story uh, set in a place where people have legit hardships. Uh, and there happens to be some face punching because Rachel's good at punching people in the face. <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing I really like about her character is, uh, is Rachel and her sister, they're very different characters. And that's something I, I wanted to do. I mean, it's a classic, you know, two sisters or two siblings, different as can be right. Like oldest story ever, right. You know, frozen, whatever it gets repeated everywhere. Uh, but you know, Rachel, uh, Goldie's the one she's sorry. She's got all the looks. She's got all the luck with men. She's the receptionist. She's the face of the company. She's very good with people. Rachel's not that she's the brash. Can't be bothered to figure out how to say it nicely. Lay a hand on her. She'll whack your hand away. Uh, you know, uh, short, stocky sort of, you know, uh, muscular, uh, she's actually, I mean, she's based off a lot of the people in my family, uh, based off pretty much everyone in my mom's side who sort of looks like that. <laughs> I don't know if they punch a lot of people in their faces, but they are known for giving people a hell of a hard time. The kind of people who like, you know, the bank's giving you a hard time. So like, you're just going to like make life more miserable for them until you, they get, you know, they do it your way. Uh, so that kind of personality, you know, the sort of the very like brash, pushy, Rigoldi is more of a kind, persuasive sort of personality, uh, which is fun to write because, you know, once you have like, oh, they're sisters and they're opposites, but except for the parts that they have in common. And then you have to show that too. And, you know, that, that makes it a lot easier to uh, uh, to to construct not only to construct narratives but to like have deeply interesting and individual people, uh, different personas, different characters that people aren't going to say, "Oh, this all reads like the same thing." Because another major thing I don't want in my writing is to have the same voice for everyone. People have different diction; they come from uh, they speak differently, they come from different backgrounds. Uh, you know, they have different views on things. People have to sound different. And having a good idea of the type of character you are goes really far in terms of uh, making people sound like they're not just me putting my words in the mouth of other people, because that's not a very interesting story. Do you like cast your characters? I mean, you obviously said you based Rachel on some people from your family. Um, do you like sort of cast people in your mind to, to be the voices of characters? I do that a lot. And it's really helped me 
Um, you know, especially if they're very caricaturistic people, um, it's really helped me develop their he's voice. Talking, and it, he's talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one of these comics someday. But, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I sort of put it in my head that this character, if it were a movie, would be played by this guy. And I could hear the voice in my head. And it really did help me with all the things you're talking about um, in terms of just giving them a different vibe. In fact, someone we had in the show last week actually had a co-writer who wrote different characters and she wrote separate ones. Um, so is there any method you use to go about uh, doing that? Uh, I, I, I don't usually cast characters in my head, although Rachel's an exception. Uh, Rachel is my, my head canon for Rachel is uh, I don't know if you've seen the show, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Susie Essman, her the the manager on the show. She's she's basically Rachel, just this like super brash person. I can totally like, see that. Takes no shit. Yeah, exactly. That's her. Yeah. Uh, she was sort of like my guiding light. It's kind of like, what would Susie do? Susie would probably answer you in a rude way and then like go off and do whatever yeah. she wants to do because you're being stupid. You know, like it's like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, that's I kind of like that character. Like I love that character. Like I love her. You know, like Alex Bornstein, who plays her and everything. I think she's great. So that that was for her. But for the others. I didn't have so much a specific uh, character in mind, but uh, a set of like coherent traits I wanted. So like Sunny Wu, Sunny is upbeat. He is happy. He's funny. He makes jokes. He's the guy who you want to be around. He's good with languages. So he makes like multilingual jokes when possible. Uh, uh, Nick is a little tougher. Uh, we don't, Just because this issue, we don't really see much of him. He's in there. It becomes a major character in the second and third issues when you we've got all the stuff that's going on with his life, which is, again, one thing I want... I'll just step back for a sec. One thing I really want to do with Wardens is show the various communities of the ward, or at least some of the various communities of the ward. I'm sure there's a lot more. Uh, specifically in this story, I'm focusing on uh, Jewish, Chinese, Black, uh, and not even like all the communities, but the communities around the few characters that are there. So in the very first issue, we mostly focus on the Jewish community and Rachel and her sister and where they work and stuff like that. Issue two, we get into Sonny's story. We get into Nick's story a bit more. And I really want to make it important that everyone has their own things going on. You know, the Jewish community has their issues. The Chinese community has their issues or like Sonny and his friends rather, you know, Nick's family, they've got a whole other supernatural thing going on that is not related to anything else, at least not yet until it becomes very related to everything else. Uh, so I wanted to sort of tell these stories about people living, like like we live in a city, we live very parallel lives. You know, I may live uh, three blocks away from somebody else or in one house over from somebody else, but usually our lives are just being lived in parallel. You know, we don't intersect that much. And so I wanted this to be a story about how communities that would otherwise be parallel through, you know, a series of bizarre plot stuff uh, have to then get together and work together to sort of, you know, solve these common supernatural problems and eventually form this sort of Ghostbusteries uh, kind of team where, you know, they're going to be the guardians of, uh, of this neighborhood. Uh, and, you know, because they're made up people from different communities, they're not just dealing with one thing or the other thing. And uh, the threats that pass between those various communities, they're more equipped to deal with them. Uh, it's a story about people coming together, uh, which I, I think is a really important, I don't know, like that seems like like an important message about people who are, doing their own thing, but somehow realize that they don't just have to do their own thing. And in fact, they're better when they don't. <laughs> Absolutely. So we, we've been talking about 
uh, uh characters and and the story and all this stuff let's let's uh kind of switch it a little bit to a little bit of the business side right because that's part of uh this thing too right because essentially it's a sales thing right and, and we're trying to get this thing going so talk to us a little bit about how you've been marketing this book and what kind of success you've been seeing right so i mean there's the market through excuse me uh there's the you know post on twitter post on instagram that kind of thing social media stuff uh, I've been making reels, uh, been way more active on any social media than I have previously uh, for this. I'm not a big social media guy just in general. I'm, I just don't, it doesn't energize me the way that energizes some people. And I like to have very directed activities. Like if I, I don't like just scrolling forever. I mean, I have done it. And because I've done it, I realize that it's a thing that I don't like doing because it's not sort of good for me mentally. I like creating things. I like you know, I'd rather play piano for half an hour and just like just jam on a keyboard with like no music in front of me, just playing whatever I want, than spend, you know, like two hours like flipping through like Instagram or something. So I've been trying very hard to do social media stuff, but it's been more than that. I I, I feel that the because this comic is largely uh, at least the first issue largely takes place in the Jewish community. I've been reaching out to a lot of people in Toronto and the local sort of history of Toronto scene and the local Toronto Jewish community. Uh, there's been uh, some synagogues that I've been in contact with. There was one, I think, Jewish Writers Toronto group that was hosting a thing for their book that someone was like, hey, your thing sounds great. So I piggybacked on that and I spoke cool. to a bunch of people there, maybe 50, 60 people in the room, that kind of thing. Uh, today yeah. I went over to a Comet Cafe, which is in the East End on uh, on Queen Street, uh, which is about it's like an hour east of my house if, uh, by uh, by public transport because Toronto was very wide. Uh, it's also very long, but it's mostly the wideness that I'm worried about. Uh, so it's just like, you know, went there, hung out there for three hours. Uh, did I speak to a billion people? No. Did I speak to three? <laughs> you know, but just doing it so that you're here so that even the next time I'm there, or the third time I'm there, people know me, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I know uh, the people who work at the store, maybe they'll pick up the book. Now I can send them an email back and saying, Hey, I was great today. I was nice to yeah. meet you all. You know, what do you think about backing the retailer coffee? Like right. the, the way I see this comic moving, because it is so local and so sort of community specific is going to be, is going to be that way. I mean, it would be wonderful if everyone on the internet decided, Hey, this is the thing to do right now, but I'm not expecting that. Yeah. I, mean, I looked at what's succeeding on Kickstarter and there are considerably fewer tentacles going into considerably few naked orifices for this to be a <laughs> best-selling Kickstarter hit based on my very cursory observation of, uh, of what was getting funded these days. So, you know, I was like, yeah, like I, I know, you know, I know what's selling and this is something that's, that's quite niche in terms of, uh, in terms of setting, uh, not necessarily genre, but in terms of setting. And I appreciate the fact that not everyone who looks at this is going to be like, wow, this is exactly what I want in my life right now. But the people who do want this in their life, they yeah. will 100% want this. I love that. I love that you say that because I, cause it, it, that's true, right? Because whatever's out there, right? People will find if, if it, this is one thing that I've always said. If people want it, they'll find a way to get it, right? That's <laughs> period, right? I, if I want something, I'll find a way to get it. No, no matter how, if I have money or not, right? We'll find ways to, if we really want it that bad. We'll figure it out a way. But but the thing is, what I hear from you is I hear that you're stepping out of your comfort zone, that you are trying different things. You are uh, you are actually going out there and doing things, making yourself seen. And and you're 
you're doing things out of the norm that you would have if it was if it was kind of a different book so those things are key right because it, and it's also consistency right and being consistent with all these things being out there showing your product talking about your product and yeah i mean you you may not have a win that day but what what the thing is is you may have hit that one person and it sits on them overnight and then who knows two three days later they might back your campaign and 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 because you talk to them, oh that's the guy i knew because they all oh, they looked at heard kickstarter and that was the only thing that stuck right sometimes things like that happen and they oh, like oh i found him here he is i'm gonna check his book out and then they follow him and they back it things crazy like that have happened so it's getting out there stepping out of your comfort zone and and doing things right um, Absolutely. And, and for me, at least, uh, my, my philosophy for this book and, and in general is like, I prioritize in person uh, and uh, anytime I can speak to a person, I think that's much more important than anytime I can yeah. like text at a person, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I know I can explain the story. Well, I'm not a super awkward person to talk to. Like, you know, some people are more comfortable doing things uh, vir like virtually or whatever. I get that. But that's, I think, like I know my strengths as a salesman, as a, yeah. as, a as a creative person. Salesman, right? Salesman, they, they you, and that's the thing. Like like salesman, you can get a person in front of you or on the phone or or on camera, and they just know that they're going to close the deal, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I'm always going to close the deal, but I know I'll talk at you until you either close the deal or <laughs> run away. <laughs> so, well, the hardest thing for a lot of people, especially creative people, uh, you know, be this artist I know in my day job or even comics people, is a lot of comics people just do not want to, especially in person, talk or in, and even have trouble, you know, selling their book or talking about it. You know, that it's just these people, you know, you can think about it all day and night, work on it forever. And, but you've got to develop those skills to just, uh, you know, you don't have to be, you know, the stereotypical idea of a salesman um, and you don't have to be the greatest talker in the world, but you do have to be comfortable with people uh, and you especially have to be comfortable with talking about your book and, and finding commonalities with people that might want to might want to back it. Yeah. doing doing things out of the norm doing things that are out that are like out of your comfort zone right like you're saying like being part of the community and doing things that are around like you could go set up at a, at a or talk to your local library right and then because this has to do with the 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 local jewish community and and the different uh, communities that that are local to there right you can grab other books that could possibly be similar to that and and you know talk to your your library and say hey can can I can I do a reading of all these really cool cultural books and then and then you know have them have your stuff set up off to the side and and not make it a sales pitch but do it for the community and hey I also have this book that's that's part of the same kind of thing right and, and then giving people different positive things maybe you have some some resources that people can use that 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 uh, may be looking for for from some help and there's all kinds of really cool stuff that you can do just stepping out of the norm and doing things for the community and stuff like that just like you've been saying yeah you you have to definitely be creative because if you call up someone and be like hi I've got a comic I'm doing a Kickstarter <laughs> thing to like your library they'll be like why are you telling me? Like, what, like, what, what is the purpose of this conversation and a lot of uh my i don't want to say struggles but a lot of like what i've i've been having to figure out as i've been doing this campaign is how to do is how to like figure out what might be an interesting thing that they would want to do uh because you don't want to send an email that's being like i have a thing what are your thoughts you know like nobody <laughs> wants that. that's yeah just random are, 
go away. You know, like you can have a reason. Yeah, exactly. And and that's one of those things, right? Be aware of like like events. Be aware of like calendar holidays and things of that nature. If they go coincide with with what your 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 uh the you know the theme of your story, right? And and you can kind of piggyback on stuff like that if they have events, local things. They always have things going on locally. They like like uh, trade shows and stuff like that. You can always set up, especially if it's if it uh, fits your fits your book, right? Yeah, it's it's been having to be creative, which is uh, which which is just an interesting and different challenge because being creative in terms of the story you're telling is not the same as being creative from a marketing perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you got to be both if you want someone to buy your stuff. That's just yeah. how it is. Yeah. It, to go back to something you yeah. said a minute ago, just about when you were you were describing kind of cold calling somebody, but really thinking of a thing that's of interest to them, not just, you know, it's I think it's hard enough for a lot of creative people just to be like, okay, I'm going to like call a person and ask them if they want to buy my book or if they're interested. And that's the hardest thing. But really, you've got to, it's not nearly enough. You've got to be thinking yeah. like, okay, what's, what's something about this that that person will be interested in? You've really got to just think about the other person, which is yeah, right. know, basic empathy in a lot of ways. But you've got to think out, like, what's a good way to contact this person? What's a good time? What's their interest? And also, how can I phrase this or set this interaction up in a way right. that just like the same way? Them? The same way that you had to figure out a hook to pull people in for this Kickstarter, right? You have to do the same thing in that line, right? Because when when these when these people that are on the other end sent that are receiving these emails, right? So if you're like if you have a media list of like let's say news people or journalists or like or you're like a local newspaper and local things like that, they see pitches all the time, all day long, in in their in their email, right? So they may only have one to two seconds to kind of look over something and skim and say, nope, not good, no 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 okay this is good enough to go on air right so you want to be able to have some a a good reason to go on air right and if that and if and if we're going to use that as like a metaphor or whatever your air can be anything right if you're going to go on air you can go you know in person or go to a trade show or go show your work or go on social media you just gotta have a reason to hook people yeah Uh, which which is all like just understand who you're talking to understand a little bit of what kind of things they might do and uh you know people are generally happy to work with other people especially if it's the kind of thing that closely aligns with what they do uh you know something like a comic store comic store is often happy to have a comic writer come in there and talk about their comics you know but sometimes you have to figure out how to get there because if you're just you know you're you're emailing like info or whatever they're like i spent all my days dealing with orders like i'm not dealing with this guy I have actual work to do, which is going to make me actual money. You know, like, like these are busy people, right? You know, comic store operators are not like just Mm -hmm. sitting on their hands all day waiting for something to happen. Like they're working. Uh, So it's trying to reduce the amount of work that they have to do to meet you at whatever level uh, you're trying to meet them at, which is, which has been a learning experience. I mean, it's been something that I am learning this campaign and, you know, by the time I do my next campaign or my campaign after that, like it's, it's going to be, I hope I'll have gotten better at it. I hope I've learned yeah. more. Uh, but I certainly don't know everything now. And a lot of what I'm doing now is even just making the contact so that, you know, for Warden's number two, I can call, hey, Chris, remember when we spoke last time? You know, like it's, it becomes that conversation, not like, hi, my name is, you know? Right. Yeah. You don't want to keep having that conversation if you don't, if you can avoid it, right? <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned a lot about stores. Um, are you planning on getting this to direct market or working with a publisher? Uh, down the line with this or uh, just keeping it on Kickstarter? 
So uh, I, Wordens is, I think, one of those series that just in because it's a 44 page uh, single issue, I don't know how much other publishers will be interested in it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also the kind of thing that I've been like, like in terms of the stories I want to tell, this is more my baby than anything, than any of the other stories. I have mm -hmm. another series that I'm working on. Uh, my goal is to have two uh, series being published like concurrently and then work on other projects. Uh, the other one is a modern horror story that also takes place in Toronto dealing with, uh, with a map. It's a magical murder mansion is how I pitch it. It's, uh, everyone gets the house of their dreams, but uh, it requires a certain amount of upkeep. Uh, it's called upkeep. Uh, and so that's the kind of story that I think would be really well suited for a small publisher like Mag Cave or Scout or someone like that mm -hmm. or Aftershock or someone who's like, you know, not Image. I mean, Image, please, like, by all means. But like, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, so, someone who uh, like like another publisher can probably take that and get the ball rolling with it, I think, a lot easier. But Warren's yeah. is so specific to me in terms of like all the stuff that I feel, at least for issue one. And as far as I can tell in the future, like, I'm probably just going to do it myself. Uh, if mm -hmm. someone comes in, if Boom says, like, hey, man, we oh. think Warrens is great. We're going to do issue two. I won't say no. You know, like, I will I will never, like, you know, I'm not saying I don't want to talk to anyone. But I just think in terms of the specificness of the series and how, like, local it is and how focused and how much everything, like, is, is crafted mm -hmm. so finely to be exactly what it is. I'm not sure that it's exactly the right series that uh, someone else would instantly want to pick up, but I could totally be wrong. You know, like maybe someone is like, man, generality out of specificity, like, you know, the more specific you are, the bigger the message is. I, that, that's what I see in this. So we want to tell the story. Like if that's the case, great. Uh, but I'm not holding my breath. Well, I mean, I look at this and it's a little bit the art style leading me that way, but I could see this like in a YA sort of format being really successful too. Um, it's got kind of the history that I think a lot of the people that drive those want to see. And, uh, and you know, obviously it's it's yeah. uh, appealing and it's got some great artwork. If uh, YA people don't mind a lot of swearing in Yiddish, then yeah. No, okay. <laughs> That's my other goal. Well, I didn't know that. Because it's fun. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, this is the part of the show where we're going to talk about a little bit of what we're doing. Um, you can either hang out with us or if you need to leave, you can you can head on out. Uh, and we thank you for being on the show. But you can, you are more than welcome to hang out and hear what we got going on. Um, right. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for coming on. <laughs> um, ben, uh, we've got a whole lot of uh, good stuff going on right now. Uh, let's first talk a little bit about... Um, about Gemini Mailers, man. We are an official partner for Gemini Mailer. So if you guys go to GeminiComicSupply.com uh, and you make an order and you put in uh, Geek Collective 10 at checkout, you can get 10% off. And I think we uh, let's go ahead and pull uh, Ari out of there for us. Um, and then uh, so if you guys go uh, head on over. Okay, here we go. Ari oh. uses mailers. <laughs> Look at guys. Uh, uh, Ari loves Gemini mailers. How am I supposed to put this? Together? So make sure you guys are going to the to the website to get your ten percent off because this can save you a heck of a whole lot of money and a heck of a whole lot of pain and headaches because you want to make sure that your books because we love these things we love creating these things so much we want to make sure that everybody who's backing these things the forty backers want to make sure that they get warnings number one in pristine 
condition. And the way we're going to do that is by using Gemini mailers or well, we're, we love Gemini. So we're going to talk about Gemini here. So make sure you guys go to Gemini comic supply.com and uh, get collective 10 at checkout to get 10% off um, and, and more stuff that we got going on. Uh, ben, let's talk a little bit about uh, your stuff going on. You got uh, Scarlet. Uh, you have Scarlet Twilight coming up, right? I do. We have some a lot of Scarlet Twilight news. So um, we have a little bit of the the lead into the next Scarlet Twilight story is going to be in our archetypes book that we mentioned before, and we'll talk about yeah. a little more. But the next chapter, uh, Cobalt Crisis, is going to come out probably late this winter, probably uh, April or May. Um, depending and uh it's gonna be on zoop i'm gonna th- the link is in the description along with the link for archetypes and uh wardens if you're watching this on youtube and i'm gonna throw this in the comments um as well now again but basically this book is if crisis on infinite earth or secret wars had been made in the 1940s so you get your earth shattering you know character drop driven uh epic thing but you're also getting a lot of that golden age uh storytelling stuff that pulp feel um, all those old great buildings and, and cars and all the things we like about the golden age um, with kind of the more epic, modern, uh, you know, epic crossover. So uh, if any of those are your things, I think you're really going to like this one and head over to zoop.gg and get in that pre-launch list and uh, you will hear first when we launch. Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And um, one other thing we're going to talk about is... um, Geek Collective, we are working on a uh, a magazine kind of inspired by Wizard Magazine and uh, a lot of those old great uh, comics magazines you'd see in the 90s called Archetypes. Um, it's going to have three different comic stories. One of them is mine, and it's a lead into Scarlet Twilight with a new character called Ace Falcon. We have Mother Wolf and Cubs, which is what you see on the cover here. And then we have another story called Beneath the Lighthouse that I'm showing a few pages of here. Um, which is yeah. really awesome, uh, black and white kind of suspense story. And in addition to that, Joey, what else do we have? Um, we have some articles, we have some marketing tips. Yeah, we're gonna have some. That. We're gonna have some really cool writing tools, uh, writing tips that were from our our buddy Adriano over there at Pesto Comics. What he does on on X, uh, Twitter, he what he does, he, he drops like these daily affirmations for himself, and like he talks about writing tools all day long, right? So he throws those out on Twitter every single day. And it's these really cool tips that he drops out. So I was like, dude, these are so cool. These have been helpful for a lot of people. Um, can you compile something for, for us like that? So what he did was he wrote an article literally that takes you, and I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a background here, that literally takes you from beginning to end writing your first issue of a comic book. So uh, so you're definitely going to want to check this one out. It's going to be really helpful for people who are – who, who are just starting out or somebody who doesn't know the first step to take, right? Because those are the one of the first scary things to do is to take that first step into something that you don't know. So this is going to help people that the, to do that. We also have um, some tips about, uh, I did a Q and a with um, some, with an editor uh, of an Oneshi press. And I asked uh, Lindsay 
which is her name. She uh, she I asked her about uh, how important press kits are and press and media kits are. So we talk a little bit about that in in the in there, and she answers a bunch of really cool questions that actually can really help you guys. And there's some really cool tips in there, and you will be able to walk away with having a really cool dynamic uh, uh, media kit that you can send out to media and and get some really great coverage for your for your work so um you're definitely going to want to get it for that as well we have uh, a really cool some cool collaborations with geek network with other geeky places like uh, like all ages of geek we're going to have some ttrpg um character designs in the uh uh, uh the t- talking to you about uh how to how to create some character designs for your ttrpgs um some really cool articles we got a really cool article that they're that those guys are going to be doing with um um some people that are going to be dropping a book from image they're going to be announcing that really huge thing and we're going to have that article in our magazine so definitely you're going to want to check that out all you got to do is head on over to geekcollective.net slash archetypes and sign up for the pre-order that that's going to drop uh somewhere in mid february we're waiting that everybody's hitting their deadlines and and as soon as we hit their deadlines we're hoping to print this thing before we even launch so that by the time we do launch we're going to use the funds for the kickstarter to distribute and as soon as that money hits we're going to send it out to you guys and we're going to send them out in gemini mailers i promise you that (laughs) so that you guys get those things pristine clean and so that you can use these marketing tools and these tools to get to help your projects get to the next level or get to a level that you guys would be comfortable with doing this again. So um, this is going to be something really fun and we're hoping to do this uh, once a year. And then if we can sustain it, if you guys want it more and more, we're going to try to do, see if we could, if we could do a um, quarterly periodical. So we'll see how that goes. Absolutely. Exciting times. So I'm, I'm pumped for that and uh, wrapping up my story, hopefully this week um, and moving on to color. So, very cool moving ahead there i'm excited about that i've been loving listen when i hear everybody talking about getting artwork in their emails i've not been able to feel <laughs> that till this time so this is so cool i'm i love uh all this stuff it's been really cool to see all everything kind of come together um very cool we have also we have our we have two articles being edited now and uh and we're gonna start formatting that here in the next week or two as well so um we've already got one article in edited and formatted so it's it's moving guys and it's looking gorgeous so um other than that well that's all i got um we have some some this month this next month is gonna be crazy with kickstarter we're gonna have a whole lot of friends that are gonna be coming on we have a whole lot of uh kickstarters to tell you guys about to, to promote as well uh, so stay tuned. Hold on to your pants because uh, it's gonna. This is they're gonna. We're gonna fly. <laughs> um, other than that, please, uh, Ari, let everybody know where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at college underscore st underscore comics. Uh, my webpage is www.arigross.ca. That's a r i g r o s s dot ca. I'm on Twitter at ari b gross. Uh, although. I mean, you can message me, but I'm not active on Twitter too much. Uh, and I can tell you guys, he's, he's not gross. That just sounded weird. Very <laughs> gross. I, I, I've lived with it my whole life. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, thank your mom for that one. <laughs> uh, my dad, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, ben, where can everybody find you? 
You can find me on Twitter at Benjamin W. Morse, Instagram at Benjamin W. Morse underscore art. And, um, and then here every week on Explain Yourself on Sunday nights. Uh, yeah, fantastic. And you can find me at Joey Galvez 1984 everywhere. And make sure you guys are, are following myself and Ben on, and Ari on Kickstarter. Head, head just You can probably just type in our names and find our Kickstarters that way and, and just check them out. And make sure you guys are following us and uh, all kinds of really cool stuff going on. Make sure you guys are checking us out here every single Sunday at 10 p.m. EST because we're going to be talking to all kinds of really cool Kickstarter friends coming up very soon. Ben, thanks for hanging out with me every single week. Ari, Thank you for coming on. Ben, please play that outro. 